0: My guest today is Johannes Pong, a food and travel writer, a musician, and a linguist. Welcome to another episode of Sit, Chat, and... What was it about Lady Gaga's performance this time that you think everyone just... Took notice of why isn't it happened in the past before?
1: Okay, well you know you've got to give props to that lady because she is a marketing genius. You know she was Stephanie. This was not Lady Gaga performing. This was Stephanie Germanotta performing, and she's always been Stephanie. You know she's been doing the clubs in in New York for like years, and that's why I kind of resonate with her because I used to do you know the clubs and the lounges, mm. and she was brunette. And she never got like, she was wrote, even she wrote songs for Britney and other pop stars, but she never was like, you know, she was signed, but they never did anything with her until she created this whole Lady Gaga persona. And that is like, complete genius to me. It was also, you know, performance art, you know, people think it's kooky. And it's like, so those people don't even understand art. You know, if they go to a, you know, high-end gallery where there's actually very innovative and like threatening art they will be like what the <laughs> right yeah. so lady gaga is all about that you know her costumes from her costumes to you know her stage presence her persona her choreography you know so she could always sing if you've seen her live or you could just go on youtube and check out all her you know acapella mm-hmm. videos this girl can sing so i think she was very smart because i think her love was jazz because she just did you know the duet album with uh, tony bennett Mm -hmm. which i thought she was amazing in half of the songs because she was a little bit too belty but i mean the girl has a jazz voice Mm -hmm. and then now and then of course classical was like one of her loves you know broadway musicals and stuff so she came out with that but imagine if she was just starting Mm -hmm. And she would just do jazz or Broadway tunes. Nobody would give
2: mm.
1: a flying <laughs> potato about her. She would just be another girl doing like old-fashioned music. But she has created this whole Lady Gaga thing, and now she's getting all these young kids born in the born in the nineties, like looking up. Oh, what's the, what are these American standards? Mm. What's jazz? What's the sound of music? Right. So that I have to give props to. So do you think this this whole
0: creating different masks, these different costumes that she wears, these different uh, personalities, these different alter egos are a way to get attention and then to kind of break away from that and be like, here, this is the real deal.
1: It is that, and it's also, again, it's like so many different reasons why we wear masks. So she's already said before, she's like, Lady Gaga's a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also protection. It's like her armor, right? Even mm-hmm. when she dresses in these outlandish costumes it's like pretty much an armor and a lot of it is actually looks like armor so it protects you know i think that fragile artist who's called stephanie from you know the public but you know is lady gaga protecting her and i think we all do it in some form or another just not as dramatic as you know she is or prince or madonna you know so you know they all have very like iconic stage names now and you know like probably when they're at home with their kids or the fiance they're not acting like Gaga mm. or Prince or Madonna right so yeah and i've seen her live i've seen her live twice and she blows my mind like it it is like bhakti going on because she always goes like you know, you got to love yourself. She's like a bodhisattva in a very fierce form. She's like Lady Durga. Like, a lot of that Durga energy, I see it in her. So, kind of Lady Gaga, Lady Durga. <laughs> she has she has this effect on, like, you know, the crowd, I feel. Cause, and I haven't seen it in modern pop stars for so long. Like, of course, if you see Beyonce or Rihanna, you know, if you're really into their crap music i think (laughs) then you go hysterical but you know gaga she goes on stage and she has like this message and she's always about like you've got to accept yourself and i think for a lot of insecure kids or everyone who is just you know struggling with insecurity that is like a big thing Mm. so she's doing you know service to humanity people think she's an illuminati puppet. <laughs> and she may well be, but I think she's also playing like playing them really well.
0: Why do you think her different masks and facades put people off?
1: People don't like to be threatened generally, okay. you know. Especially America. She's super well accepted in Japan and Europe more. Like, I think everyone just wants to fit in, and I think it's a very American thing. Mm-hmm. I went to my cousin's wedding one time, and he's, he's a fun guy. But I remember we were at, in Walnut Creek in the Bay Area near San Fran, and it was a Thanksgiving party, and everyone was actually dressed exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It was like jeans and a grey sweatshirt. So it was like a uniform. And like nobody deviated from that, <laughs> either a gray sweatshirt or a gray hoodie. And I looked at it and I was like, "Well, this is really interesting because coming from Hong Kong, where everyone, you know, wants to at least dress differently and explore with fashion, like it's completely opposite in suburban America, mm. you know." But we grow up with we grew up with uniform, you know, going to school or even going to work now, you know. So it's like, in a way, it's kind of interesting because America is kind of like land of the free, everyone's casual, but then actually there is a code. So you don't have to do your suit and tie, but there is a code that you have to dress a certain way and conform a certain way. So Gaga is just coming out and, like, vomiting on all of that and saying, (laughs) I'm going to wear this. And I've always been into fashion, so, you know, that whole colorful, you know way of basically presenting herself you know she's just like a, a canvas so she's putting art on herself you know bubbles the meat and you know whatever Kermit the Frog chopped up you know so I appreciate it
0: <laughs> do you think she's provoking for the sake of provocation or she actually has a message with these things
1: there, are, there has to be a little bit of both right all art great art has to provoke you know, if it doesn't provoke, then it's not art. So, old, you know, classical art, it, it still provoked, but it was basically at that stage in humanity, there wasn't that much art around. So, it has to be classical art is always beautiful
2: yeah.
1: and it's got a lot of craftsmanship. Now we have, we're saturated with art and color everywhere. So, modern art is definitely threatening it's more like conceptual it's more you know it is slapping you in the face
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it doesn't make you feel good usually it makes you think classical art makes you feel good mm-hmm. modern art makes you go and then question yourself and the world right so i think that's what she's doing and most people don't want to think most people don't want to question the world or their place in it so people get like yeah <laughs> you know so even it's quite interesting because a lot of spiritual people that I know of, even if they don't like Gaga's songs or her voice, because we all have opinions, you mm-hmm. know, we might not like her voice. We might prefer, you know, Sandy Lamb's voice or we prefer, you know, Indian music. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people are like, oh, wow, she's something. So she's you know, she constantly
0: putting people out of their comfort zones with her singing. She
1: and is. Her- and she's, this is like the, so like a lot of the uh, hardcore fans and I've been a fanboy since she first came out. Cause I was like, this girl can sing and she knows what she's doing. She's doing these crappy pop songs, but just look at her later. Mm. But so this is like, she's kicked everyone in the teeth by actually not Provoking them, like she's pulled it all back, right? And like doing this, this
0: is just me right. doing
1: this. Well, but I think it's also awesome provocation. Mm. You know, it's like look what I can do as well, mm-hmm. and now that I have this platform, the Oscars, bam! Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so. so you were telling me the other day you were
1: inspired by that, and you used to
0: sing at jazz clubs.
1: I did. So I remember last time when we talked, I was like, oh, I'm so done singing. Yeah. And I think that somehow that just changed around and like this manifestation thing was so quick because I told you I went to I was after a, a media dinner and everyone was like, oh, let's just go to Orange Peel, which is this new jazz bar in Lan Kui Fong. And it just so happened that this Brazilian band was performing there. And my, my friend João was doing the keyboard. So he's uh, from Brazil, and he has a, he's teaching actually musicology at Hong Kong U. I don't know if he's teaching now. Maybe he finished. And uh, and then my old producer and like was there, and so he's like, "Hey, let's do something <laughs> with um, Chuck and some other." Chuck is a rapper. Yeah. That uh, Ellie knows as well, and Gretchel, who's an amazing singer, so they're doing some sort of improv jazzy lounge thing and i was like okay and he's like yeah i got more time and we got budget so i was like okay hook me up (laughs) (laughs) this this year is about all new projects so and i I never say no to an opportunity so when it presented itself to me then i was like okay here's my card
0: (laughs) so what is it that is different about this project and going back to when you actually stopped singing, what 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 is it that made you stop in the first place?
1: What made me stop in the first place? Okay, this is a long story that I'm going to repeat again. <laughs> but basically, that was almost ten years ago now. So it's quite kind of weird. It's almost a decade, and then like the universe Cycles. is flipping again, mm. and it's all like beginning with the year of the ram. So I'm like, hmm.
0: What does that signify, the year of the ram?
1: I'm not really that you know good with Chinese astrology but I have a very good friend who's a feng shui master Thierry she also goes to our guru's class her mm-hmm. dad's like one of the top feng shui masters and she's learning from him right now so
0: I really want to get her on the show actually
1: yes you definitely should yeah because she's like very creative she did she studied design in Canada hit her head <laughs> tobogganing or skiing and then like got psychic powers oh yeah exactly. <laughs> and then she got the gift and then when she came back to Hong Kong her dad was like you are learning the craft <laughs> with me now honey so I'll ask her that question
0: like, about the year of the round so tell me you were saying cycles and this is a new cycle so basically
1: here. yeah I got long story short I got quite depressed and I didn't want to sing anymore even though after graduation I knew I wanted to become a jazz singer and I thought that would sustain me for the rest of my life so and then I did a lot of shows around, so it was I was okay, I was not a starving artist, you know, I did all the clubs and the lounges in Hong Kong, but then that was during, before the economic crisis hit, so, you know, all the big fashion houses, and the, and the, you know, Porsche, and like Mercedes, Dior, they would fly us around, me and my band, to Beijing, Shanghai, Tokyo, Taipei, Seoul, so ma- major major Asian cities and we have a party and then we get paid, and <laughs> wine and dined. So that was the I thought that was amazing and then I did one show in uh, Hong Kong at the Grand Hyatt and it was a cancer fund show and Coco Lee was there so she's one of my idols from you know high school and childhood but she was I thought she sucked <laughs> it, really, it really wasn't her. And it should have been like, you know, a crowning moment of my career where I was jamming with her on stage. But mm-hmm. I just thought like, oh, I don't want to sing.
0: So you, she was your idol. Yeah. What, did, what was it about her that was so good? And then suddenly you were like, wow, this is not.
1: Well, good. it really wasn't her. It was, she was just, she's not really the catalyst, but she, she was just kind of there. And that kind of made me realize that I was not enjoying it at all. So it just became like a routine job to me instead of something fun. So I think I'm kind of I'm the type of person that I have to do new stuff. Mm. So I don't think I can sit down for a nine-to-five mm. and be satisfied with my life, even if I make millions. So I was on stage. I'm singing with, you know, my childhood idol. And then all I wanted to do was just drink champagne. I saw everyone, you know, drinking champagne and getting drunk. And I was like, oh, I just want to do that. So that's when it clicked, mm. you know, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not enjoying this at all. So I really need to figure out what to do for the rest of my life, because I don't think I can, you know, sustain like this. So it was, really wasn't her fault. And she wasn't like paid to perform. She was actually a guest. Mm. And she saw how fun it was. We were like jamming on stage. So she came up and she was like, I want to
2: sing. Mm-hmm.
1: And all she did was, I think she just sang like, baby, 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 honey, honey. I love you darling <laughs> like her R&B thing and I was like oh god <laughs> how uncreative <laughs> so yeah it really wasn't about her it was really me and it was I. it was kind of boiling within me for almost I think maybe half the year already so it wasn't mm. just like you know so that was then that was when I was decided okay I have to stop and I knew the only thing I could do was to meditate Because I had no way out. Like, I didn't know what to do, which was kind of weird. Because I've always kind of, you know, you would know what you want to do, right? And Mm -hmm. then that came, and then you're like, oh, crap, that's not going to make me happy.
0: What did meditation do for you, and how did you do it?
1: Uh, I basically had no choice. So I was, besides being depressed, I think I was angry at myself. I was just angry at the world, you know, angry at my parents. Like, why is this happening to me? (laughs) And, uh, you know, just this existential Mm -hmm. artist problem. (laughs) (laughs) This arjuna trauma. (laughs) And I knew that I had to shut myself out because my mind was just going, you know, chatter, 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 blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's the... So I knew there were these drop-in meditation sessions at... The Kadampa Center—it's a Tibetan lineage. It used to be in uh, near Ship Street, but now it's moved to Causeway Bay Road or Causeway Road, and um, in Causeway Bay. And uh, yeah, there were just these drop-in meditation sessions, so you just go in and sit. And I just knew that I just had to go and sit and clear my mind. So my first, you know, hardcore meditation teacher was uh, this Chinese—he's Chinese, but you know, in Tibetan robes, this monk called Tong Lam and he's pretty cool. He he was just in his thirties. You know, he was an architect and was in a punk band before in the UK. He had a Man Manchester Mancunian accent, so it was like, yeah, he was he was my first. You know, I think he initiated me into meditation, and so I was doing that quite regularly every week. And then I had another friend who, a Japanese friend, who then told me about Malaji's classes, which is, you know, the guru that we go to now. And she was like, oh, I I know these Indian philosophy classes. Why don't you come and um, check them out? So I was like, okay. And then I never looked back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did it give you?
1: What did it give me? It gave me everything. (laughs) It gave me life. Mm-hmm. Um, just a more an understanding, you know, because we have an amazing teacher, and do you want? I don't know if you want me to go.
0: Well, um, I mean, you were talking into, about how you were lost and you had an exist- existential crisis, mm-hmm. and meditation helped you. How, how did it? What What was it that came into your experience through going to those classes? What you know over time, what was the process? what was your thought process, and how did you come to where you are now?
1: So yeah, the thought process thing it's just it's very interesting because I was just doing my little art performance that I just started this morning, and it was basically journaling mm. with in a room full of like four other guys, and uh, we were just you know putting our thoughts down so mm. that's that's on for. Six weeks at the Spring Workshop. And it's by these Danish artists called I don't know, Elm, Elm Street or something. Elm Drag. I gotta like read it. Okay. Elm Green and Drag Set. Okay, <laughs> Sorry guys. And uh, But they're not in Hong Kong so they've created these journals and they've hired, you know, they've kind of invited a random group of young man to like sit in a room and like journal every day except for Mondays for six weeks until so until April and so this morning I was just basically like putting all my thoughts down and you just realize that your stream of thoughts is absolutely uncontrollable (laughs) (laughs) I mean as me I'm a writer so I was just I tried not to self-censor myself and I think I was looking at the other boys writing and they're trying to create a work of art Mm. so they're writing really slowly and really beautifully and I just kind of I just kind of view it as a mental exercise so I just went and I just like vomited on the the page (laughs) and I realized how much ego and like how self-conscious I am when I'm writing and then I'm today was you know also the first day so there was a lot of press coming in and like you know looking at us so it's quite voyeuristic and exhibitionist mm. and I know half of them because I'm a writer so it was you know half of my the people in my industry and so they're all taking Instagram pictures of me and, and I was writing down I was like oh god I feel so this is so intrusive and then I was like oh no take more pictures of me <laughs> so you realize like your mind is basically going you know it jumps from one thought to the other without any sort of correlation, we we keep attaching ourselves to our thoughts and we think that we are our thoughts but actually, you know it's actually just as exterior as, you know, this coffee cup you know, but we're so attached to it and our thoughts and what we think that we kind of don't understand that it actually just comes to us of course you can direct it but, you know, the initial thoughts usually come just from out of the blue. Right, so Vedanta learning from our guru is you. I think we're really a lot more self, you know, conscious of what we're thinking, and to direct it, you know, to just kind of. And meditation is is a great tool to just kind of, you know. Decrease, the level of thought flow.
0: When you started to become more aware of these thoughts, was it difficult at first to see all of it? Did you start judging a lot? What was that like?
1: Um, I think I got to the point where it was like, you need to let go of all these thoughts now, otherwise they will kill you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I got to that state of depression, you know, the Arjun of grief, and it was really just like, you're basically crazy. You know, the more thoughts you have, you're actually crazy. there's a fine line between you know being a genius and being you know bat crap insane so I was pretty much insane and I could feel it so I had no choice but to sit down and just like attempt to shut my mind off and I've always been interested in meditation so I knew that that was a good way to do it and so that was the time when I actually forced myself to sit down and really do it you know because I've read about meditation but as our guru says you know we keep reading the recipe and the cookbook but you gotta you know just sit down and bake that cake right so I just was like okay I need to bake this cake (laughs) otherwise I will go crazy so that's what I did um meditation you just gotta I I mean everyone talks about it but you know it boils down to whether you're doing it or not Mm. and we can talk for years about meditation and and the sages from Ancient China, Japan and India, they've been talking about it for ages and still a lot of people don't understand it. But it's like all the wise rulers, you know, the most kick-ass samurai <laughs> and the ninja and the Zen monk, they've all done it. This is like part of their daily, you know, routine. So it's like this is a tried and tested method, so why not do it?
0: There's a stigma attached to meditation with this whole movement that's happening in the world Mm -hmm. now with new age do you agree
1: no i don't think it's so i think it's actually coming out from you know the boundaries of buddhism or hinduism so the new age in a way it's good because it's letting people know about this Mm. and you know the way to meditate is so personal like i just went on a retreat early fab with my other guru, Shubhraji. So there's, you know, spiritual sisters. They studied under Swami Chinmayananda. And we went to... I've been with her to India twice for two weeks and then three weeks. And this time it was a little bit more chill. We were just in Bali for the weekend. And it was mainly, you know, uh, a meditation retreat. So we were just in and out of meditation almost the whole day. And it was just ten of us and she's pinpointing, you know, each of us, like how our ego works, and how. What's the best way to meditate, mm-hmm. for each for each of us? So you know, there was, some people are really into mantra chanting. I'm definitely, part of that group because you know, as a singer and a linguist, mm-hmm. the mantras help, mm-hmm. sound and vibration. Some people like to focus on their breath or their spine. Some people, found, you know. Focusing on the candle or, you know, a a sculpture, an idol, helps them, you know, very visual people. So it's all different. Everyone has their own, you know, recipe on how to bake that cake. Mm.
0: Speaking (laughs) of baking cakes, (laughs) how did you... What was that thing that manifested that made you become a food and travel writer?
1: Right, so right now, how I put bread on my table is by reviewing <laughs> restaurants and just eating, you know, um, Put bread that. on your table
0: by actually putting bread on your table. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just, you know, um, so that was after maybe half a year of going to Mology's classes or even just around a year. And, you know, we have this, um, uh, new year's ritual so every new year's eve we would chant you know a krishna mantra healing mantra 108 times to ring in the new year on christmas eve on uh, new year's eve sorry so and that year we did it on the beach in deep water Bay. so when i heard about it i was like oh well i've you know done So many New Year's Eve where I just go and drink champagne and then on January 1st I throw up, which is not a good way to start the new year. So I thought, what the heck, I might as well just go to the beach and try this chanting thing. So at that point I was still unemployed, so I was still kind of in rehabilitation, I suppose you could say. But I've been going to Malajis for almost like uh, half a year. So I think half a year at the Kadampa Center and then half a year. At mala's classes so then we did this chant and i was really into it <laughs> and then Ji then proposed this question to us and she was like well now you can ask god to give you whatever you want mm-hmm. if you actually you know gave your heart and soul mm-hmm. during the mantra chanting because it was you know very auspicious energy at that time So she was like, ask, and you shall receive. But, then she said, but because we human beings are so stupid, we usually ask for what we want, not what we need. And by the time that thing comes, we're like, I don't want this. I want another thing. Right? So it's like a little kid who wants a tricycle. And then you get the tricycle, and you're like, no, I want a bicycle. And then when you have a bicycle, you're like a teenager. You're like, no, I want a motorbike. The BMX doesn't do it, right? So it's the same thing, the desire thing. That's what Buddhism and Hinduism is about. You know, desire only leads to more desire. You know, it's not bad, but it will just lead to more and more desire. So Malaji said the best way is to ask for what is perfect for you. So at that point, I had nothing to lose because I had no clue, basically, what to do in my life. So I was like, okay, Universe, give me what is perfect. <laughs> and then we lit our candles and we like offered it to the sea. And the next day, that was January 1st, my ex-editor called me, the chief editor of, the, of uh, Asia City, the company I used to work with. And he's like, Hey, Johannes, do you want to come in and be an editor of this magazine? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I've always written stuff. You know, like, I've always liked writing as well. And I've, you know, like, filed columns for different magazines, but I've never been an editor of a whole magazine. Mm. And so I said, uh, well, I don't really know what to do. It's quite different, the job. And my editor-in-chief was like, oh, it's okay. We got Jane to train you. She's an amazing mentor. So just come in at, on on the 15th. I still remember it was the 15th. So I was like, okay. So then I hung up and then I called two of my friends who were editors and I was like, should I take this job? And they're like, take it. What are you (laughs) talking about? (laughs) You have nothing to do right now. You don't have to work up the ranks. You know, you're not intern and then like going up to writer. You're just given this magazine. And And I think they knew me because I was just, you know, from the club scene and like people knew that I was, you know, I could socialize and I had an eye for, you know, aesthetics as well. So they were like, yeah, Johannes would be good for this job. So I took it. And then, like, I remember, like, hanging up, and then I was actually... I have this picture of uh, Ganesh that I drew, this painting, acrylic. And I just looked at my painting of Ganesh, the god, the elephant-headed god, for removing obstacles. And I just looked at that, and I was like, oh, my God, it's too soon. <laughs> it's too fast. And then I was like, actually, I was crying, you know. So I was very grateful for that. And then I shared it to the class. There was also one other lady who said that she asked for what is perfect and she got it. So Malaji didn't say who it was. She just said like two people actually got their wish. I didn't even wish, right? So I didn't even know. But now I find that it actually is the most perfect job. So I'm, now I've moved up. I'm freelance now. And I just get to travel the world and eat. And get paid to do for it. And that's exactly kind of what I wanted, actually. You know, thinking back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, why do you think she said, ask for what is perfect and not anything else? Why, why those particular words?
1: This is a very strong exercise in faith, right? And surrender. So, and this is very interesting because I have not, I mean, I get my perks every year. But I have not gotten like a big thing like that. And I don't think I have, act, you know, because it's now I was just empty at that stage. So I was so ready to receive whatever was given to me.
2: Mm.
1: And now that I'm not empty, <laughs> even if I'm trying to ask for what's perfect, it, there might not be like such a powerful, you know, blessing mm. right away when I get it. So, yeah, our ego is, all, is always sabotaging, you know, what the universe is trying to give us. And, um, Yeah.
0: I was just looking at your blog, and uh, you were talking about you're really grateful for it, and you do this one thing called I don't know if you still do it called the rampage of appreciation.
1: Oh, thank you for reminding me. That's what <laughs> I'm going to write on my in that journal when I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, it's not really. I think I was it was somewhere I read. It was like an Esther Hicks book, I think. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I see. An Abraham, right? Uh-huh.
1: So it was actually in there. I didn't coin. The term, but when I read that, I was actually laughing out loud because I just thought it was such a cool name for this exercise. Mm. It's called the Rampage of Appreciation. So every day, you would list 10 or at least 20 things that you're grateful for because you know it's like you need to brainwash yourself into becoming more positive literally, brainwashing. You need to wash your brain. Mm. I think most of the time, we're just so consumed by negativity and just like, first of all, problems, right? That you don't see the blessing. So I think that's also why I love going to India and Indonesia now. And it's not like, it's not like sh- that German term, Sch- Schattenfragen. yeah. <laughs> where you're like, oh my God, look at all these third world people. But you just see and you're very grateful for what you have when you see how, you know, most of the planet lives. Mm -hmm. And when you get and it also grows your compassion, you know, when you when you go there and you see these people. And then also and then a lot of the kids who are just beggar children on the street with no shoes, they have like these beaming smiles on their face. And you just kinda wonder like they're so happy, so what do you have to be grumpy (laughs) and angry about, right? You know, if you have shelter, if you have food, that's already a lot better than, you know, so much of this world's population. And uh, so that is the thing to, you know, to kind of brainwash yourself and to just to practice being positive. You know, and you'll see the you'll actually start being more happy. So you know, it it looks very. I have a lot of negative friends as well. <laughs> They're getting better, but they read that post, and a lot of them have actually commented on that post. That's why I put it there, mm. and it was on a, it was a sticky for a long time because I think it was just reminding them to be grateful of you know what they have. That just makes you think that
0: where does happiness really lie anyway? It's just shifting. According to this, it's just shifting your your focus.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's also shifting. But sometimes, you know, when you get really, really in that dump, you know, it's hard to shift. And you got to dig. So if you've been, like, digging this hole for a long time, <laughs> for some strange reason that I, I did, so... Uh, it's hard to climb back up. So, like, mm. you know, the rampage of appreciation was, like, a really quick way. It's it's actually difficult when you're in that dump mm. to start climbing. So, like, I, I... You know, every time I, like, kind of see that a depression is setting in with some of my friends when they're being just overtly, you know, just bitchy about whatever, and then I'm like, hmm, maybe you should do this. And they try, and then, like, they're usually stumped at, like, three... Like three or four things and they're like, I can't think of anything that's like, I'm grateful for. And I was like, you could be as superficial as you want. You could thank, you know, the universe for those proper shoes or, you know, that steak meal you had or the, you know, bourbon, whatever. Mm. But, you know, just start, you know, channeling that positivity.
0: If a train is going in one direction, which is your thoughts are going towards the negative direction. Right. You can't just turn the train around and go towards positive. Right. You have to slow it down. You've come back to neutral, then you have to shift towards mm. the positive. Right. Is that right? Yep. I think yeah. so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're absolutely correct.
0: <laughs> do you know how what, what's your do you have a method of doing that?
1: um <laughs> meditation, of course. Because meditation really is neutral because you're basically stopping yourself from thinking so instead of thinking negative negative and thinking positive you're going to that neutral space so you're going to you know this of course when you say it and if you've never tried it then people might be like Whoa, what is that because you're basically trying to go to this place where just you are it's not being thoughtless mm. because i don't think unless you are a swami who's done it for like 50 years you might not be in that state, but it's to the point where you are just witnessing, and you know your thoughts, but you're not attached to. It. Sure. And that's so, a, for that's example, a, neutral place. a very you know thoughts start with usually an emotion, and if you're like, I'm angry. Why? Because I'm angry at my friend, right? And then you attach yourself to that thought, like I'm going to kill him or her, or like this is what I'm going to go, do back, you know. And then you might you might be thinking like, oh, he or she always does this to me. You know, so you go on and on and on. But if you just have this thought that's like, I'm angry, and then you look at it and then you just <laughs> let it go and just not, you know, attach yourself to it, sure, then it's not gonna snowball into, you know, that freight train. So meditation is just I can't. You know, I can't, can't describe it, describe it yeah. but I also want everyone to try it, so that's why <laughs> everyone should just try it. You know, this is what Malaji said, you know, how do you describe being in love to someone who's never been in love, right? You just gotta kind of fall, not fall, just rise. <laughs> you know, rise <laughs> step into it. Step into it, right? So you, say, you're a
0: writer. You're also... Or oh, you were, I don't know if you are, but you were a professor of language.
1: I was not a professor. I mean, I was just... <laughs> you were teaching at a university. I was city, teaching so. at Hong Kong U. That was after I graduated. And I came back to Hong Kong because my mom was like, come back to Hong Kong. And I didn't really know what to do yet. Uh-huh. So I came back and I enrolled in the MPhil program, which is Master of Philosophy mm-hmm. for Linguistics. So that's one of my favorite things to do, actually, is to learn languages and to learn about language, human language. And uh, I was in the Japanese department because I was doing my thesis in phonology, comparative phonology, between Cantonese loanwords and Japanese loanwords. (laughs) Which means, um, basically, like, the English word sofa is in the Cantonese language. Sofa and then in Japanese, sofa. So I was kind of like dissecting syllables and researching on how language change happens in different languages and uh so that's that was my thing and i still love i love learning languages it's like my hobby if i I, my way of relaxing it's kind of like meditation as well even though i'm learning something new it's just to like sit down and read a language textbook like i just love it Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah I was just ba- basically you know a tutor uh, of Japanese Did so first year, cl- first year students I had the whole lecture hall that was awesome until I got bored and I was like okay I'm going to be a jazz singer so that 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 got bored, boring really soon so I knew it wasn't for me mm-hmm. just because I'm more of a people person as well and I like to talk and that was just you know me sitting in a lab in a language lab and doing my thing you know besides the teaching but you're so
0: good at languages
1: how many can you speak I can't even remember now I really don't count so but I think maybe around 12 okay so you're alright well, I'm fluent 5 and then like maybe 5 proficient me? and then like 2, 3 that's like tourist level mm. right so Cantonese English is my mother tongue I think if you start young So my mom's an English teacher. So we spoke both Cantonese and English at home. And then I started learning French when I was really young. Because I hated my piano teacher. She was a very bad teacher. (laughs) And like everything in life, I think you need a really good guru. You need a good guide in any field. And I don't think that was a very good piano guru. So I said, Mom, I'm going to quit. And we just had a family friend who was doing learning French from this Vietnamese lady, Mm. Vietnamese Chinese. And so my mom was like, okay, learn French with uh, these kids. And I'm like, okay. So she was another really great French guru because she didn't just teach us, you know, French grammar, but, you know, she she was like letting us listen to like French songs like pop songs nursery nursery rhymes first and then pop songs and then she would bake escargot and croissant <laughs> <laughs> and make ice cream so it's definitely you know that cultural aspect as well which is what i like about language you know right. language is really just the vehicle for the culture and uh you know culture encompasses all, all, almost everything you know culinary mm-hmm. the arts music you know, fashion architectures. That's why I love all of it, <laughs>
0: all of the above. So, language is really a way for you. Is it? Okay I don't know if it's
1: a it's a curse or a gift. It's a way of thinking, and I think it. You have to be. I think it's, this is my new theory. I think you have to be less attached to your ego to learn language because. Ego is very based on language. Especially for monolinguals. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh you you think like an American or you think like a Chinese person or you think like an Indian. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you think. Mm-hmm. So you can never jump out of that box already. Because language contains a lot of, you know, the philosophy and, and you know the world view basically of that country, of that culture. So Language learning for me is jumping into different boxes. But I don't know if I'm trapping myself into a lot more boxes. <laughs> so you have to surrender
0: what you already know in order to take on that new language. I you. think so, yeah. Wow, that's very interesting.
1: You know, the worldview as well as, you know, pronunciation, which is it's a big thing for me as well. You know, I think for vibration, how your tongue moves mm. and how, you know, sounds, I'm just very addicted to sounds, <laughs> hence the music, you know, mantra chanting.
0: When, when you, uh, when you take on anything like the writing or the singing or the, the, the uh, the, um, the languages, what is it that, I mean, what is it the most, what do you find? Is there a certain pattern among those things that you've constantly mm-hmm. found challenging
1: challenging no and that's why i'm so drawn to it it's so calming for me i think the only challenging part was when i was you know in third year japanese and i felt like there was a hurdle that i had to go past to become fluent in that language and then i went to japan so that was okay so that was (laughs) so that was like immersion that was the only thing and then after that No, I mean, it comes quite naturally to me. So, those are like really my vasanas. Mm. And um, is the vasana thing going to pop up? Like, It will will. (laughs) definitely. You'll probably (laughs) see a
0: little thing pop up now which (gasps) defines what a vasana is.
1: But, you know, Malaji says that an, an artistic vasana will never bind you. Huh. So, that's a good thing.
0: Would it not present challenges, though? Like, in terms of. Because I. I would think that as an artist you're constantly growing as well as a a person Mm -hmm. and do you agree that you need challenges to grow?
1: Oh yeah definitely that's why and this year I'm feeling like the challenge is coming so you know when I was on retreat with Shubhaji you know she would ask us usually what what we want to get out of it Mm -hmm. and I've always you know I've been to India twice with her and my thing was just like, oh, I just want to go with the flow. (laughs) And I think I'm good at that, going with the flow. So this year, I actually, what came into my mind was the word discipline. And then we were sharing. So a lot of people during the retreat was like, ah, I want to let God. Some people were like, I want to learn how to love more and all that. And the word that came to me was discipline. And I was like, it's discipline. I hate that word so but um, I think you know learning language and learning new types of music and singing I don't really have any problem with it the discipline part is really like not letting the ego attach to the, all that you know yeah, the really performance
0: you've taken on so many things in your life so many and within those things there are so many different things mm. So would you say that is the challenge to kind of not attach to any of them?
1: Maybe. Maybe that's my my challenge is to take on all this stuff and then let let it all go. Wear all these different hats. (laughs) Exactly. And it's so ironic because you actually physically love love wearing hats. Yeah. (laughs) See that's my that's that's my mask as well, right? Is it? Part of my persona
0: is it a mask though and because we were talking earlier about fashion right. and expression of your personality yeah. so what do you think is that that defining line between where something is a mask as fashion or something is an expression of your personality
1: i think it's 50-50 right mm. you know the mask is your expression mm. the mask is the ego mm. and of course there are some people where you can see that you're like um oh, this is a total mask <laughs> that you're wearing mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think fashion is just, you know, we don't need clothes really. I mean back if you were living in like a really cold Arctic environment, yes you need fur mm-hmm. or not fur, sorry, no fur. Same mm-hmm. with of fur. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> uh knitwear. <laughs> knitwear and keep uh, it. <laughs> but if you are in a, you know, warm environment like India, like nobody really needed clothes. Mm. I mean, the clothing is just adornment, you know, it's just really self-expression. So it's, it tells you whether you are a conservative, like all those Americans wearing gray hoodies and jeans, or if you are a crazy artist (laughs) or a fashionista, right? Who just need to, you know, express themselves through their clothes. Yeah.
0: There's nothing wrong with that. Both are beautiful, and both simplicity and 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 kind of purity and uh, non-attachment and that kind of uh, Spartan way of living mm-hmm. It's just as beautiful as someone who's so ex- expressive. So uh, exactly.
1: I mean, it's it's. I mean, you have to kind of see the beauty and everything. So you know, when I was studying with Tong Lam, mm. he was like, "Oh, I just wear this Tibetan robe." Every day, and there's a lot of symbolism. And he's like, But it's really awesome because I don't have to think about what to wear every day. And then he was also like, But then again, I can't be attached to this. So Mm. if I were (laughs) to go out and put on a pair of denim, I could do it as well. I don't care about fashion, but it's like, No, you actually do, even if you are putting on a suit and tie. You know, the fact that you put on this piece of fabric around your neck and it's so superficial and it's so like, if you think about it, like why are you doing this? Why is this conservative? Why does this give you masculine power? Mm. It's a noose. <laughs> and if you study you know, fashion history, then you kind of know why people dress like that and you know, like, you know, this it's a whole kind of worms that people don't really know about or they want to think about.
0: Yeah, Alaska. We're gonna have Tanisha on this podcast who is studying fashion right now, mm. and she's actually doing history of fashion. So uh, we'll go into this. That's it's fantastic. really
1: interesting. Oh, I'd love to talk to her about. It.
0: <laughs> what is your What is your uh, Since we're talking about fashion, <clears throat> you're a very fashionable person. What 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 defines your style or oh your sense God, of I don't you don't know you just wear whatever you feel like wearing that day how do you shop what do you
1: what do you what i do? think i have honed my fashion sense since high school so that's like i don't even think about it anymore it's like so natural mm-hmm. and now the older i get the more the less i care because in college i was the most obsessed about it i would say mm-hmm uh i don't even buy that many clothes anymore and i'm trying to get rid of clothes and i will i will find you know an item and then i'll wear it every day because i love it so like these are my new jeans and i've been wearing them every day but i haven't worn jeans you know this is was like my first pair of jeans in like maybe three years really yeah So I'd go through, like, these very extremes. Yeah. Or, like, this new hat that I have on right now. It's a black hat, like, broad-rimmed. I love it. I'm wearing it almost every day. Uh In college, I would definitely, you know, like, not repeat the same outfit twice. (sighs) Like, down to the socks and the shoes and the hat. You know? And I would sometimes change twice a day, you know? Like, morning class. Well, I never had morning classes. Like, afternoon class and then evening. So... And I used to go to thrift shops a lot, so I had a lot of vintage 50s, 60s, 70s, mostly 70s stuff that I used to love. But now it's like the 90s and the 80s stuff is coming back as retro. You know, that's what the kid's wearing nowadays. And Again, I'm like, going back to the oh, same that is so when ugly. goes around. Yeah, it goes around.
0: <laughs> when, once you know who you are, you should be okay with whatever you want to wear, However, you want to go in the world, whatever you want to do, that's true to you, and to be to find the comfort with that, is that not what this is all about?
1: Yeah, I think so. But you know, there's a lot of trial and error. You know,
0: you know, you've told me that you've lived. You feel like you've lived many lives,
1: right? And my next one is starting like this year. It just <laughs> started today. I mean, with the podcast and. My new performance piece this morning. So
0: you feel like you're always growing, you're always shifting, you're always changing.
1: I am, but sometimes I don't even like it. Sometimes I'm like, God, what is next? You know, why can't I? So that's why I was pretty much angry at that stage in my life. You know, like, why can't I just stick to singing Mm. and be happy with it? You know, people are dying to be in my shoes. And it's the same thing with, like, my travel (laughs) and food writing. Everyone's like, I want your job!
0: So you are and an now I'm
1: kind of like, yeah, I want to go and do some other stuff. You know? But
0: you, you are an inspiration, and people in Hong Kong know about you, and you, you've got yourself to a place where you're, you're somewhat, though you say mm-hmm. that you're looking for the next thing, you're actually doing what you enjoy, right?
1: I'm doing what I enjoy, yes.
0: So what would you what, what is the one thing that you think, looking back and seeing how you connect, connected the dots, what is the one philosophy that got you going throughout? One statement.
1: One statement. Oh, this is very easy. It's a very, very simple, easy. yeah. It's really is surrender for me. And I think I've been brainwashed. <laughs> and as a Pisces, I'm like very much, you know, like faith comes naturally to me. Like it's not it's not a struggle. It's actually sometimes when I beat myself up when I'm like god, why didn't I just surrender at that point? That would just make things a lot easier because then God will just step in and do all the work I don't have to you know chug and huff and puff and like try and do this it really is in a way I wouldn't want to say I'm lazy <laughs> but so I was also brought up as a, as a the son of a preacher man right yeah, yeah. my dad's a Lutheran minister so faith was you know kind of instilled in me in mm-hmm. in a young age in God or in Jesus Christ, but you know, basically in the big CEO, right? So just let go. Just letting it go, I think is.
0: As Elsa would say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. See, that's another great, like, amazing. It is song you know, that's changing. I have to say, children's perspectives. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Those are the kind of that's the kind of stuff they should be continuing to make. It is such a good message.
1: yeah though. so simple. So simple, and it was actually really like. Yeah, that film was just quite (laughs) (laughs) pedantic. It was. That's what I thought. (laughs) I went to Mology and I was like, you have
0: to go see Frozen. They're like, what? And actually, it's really great because in that film, it's so against the Disney uh, formula. It goes against the whole idea that everything is so perfect and you'll find Prince Charming and it's totally against that, which is what I love. It's so real. Yeah,
1: but now they can't make that into the new Disney formula because then it's going to be boring. Like all the other. I wonder what they're going to do next but i love that you know it was like the sisterly bond yeah you know it was true love but it wasn't just you know boy girl it yeah. could be family as well yeah
0: i noticed you're wearing one of the chakra pieces
1: okay we're going into new it's age going to, uh, <laughs> do you think it's is it new no it's, it's not new age. it is very old age you know the indians came up with chakras how many thousands of years ago? So yeah, chakras. Our guru Mala Ji is also a into in the jewelry business.
0: amongst many things.
1: Amongst many things. See, <laughs> you know, she can be a jack of all trades, master of all trades, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she has this jewelry line, and she's just she's you can do talk more about it. You know more, I
0: think. Well, I mean, what I from what I can see, you're wearing the green one.
1: Yes. Yeah. And the, the Nadi,
0: heart, which is for circulation.
1: The heart chakra.
0: Well, what have you felt? Tell me a little bit of how you feel about wearing it.
1: So we were helping Malaji out with her first photo shoot mm-hmm. for her catalog, right? Yeah. yeah. And she's offered to give us, you know, bracelets and or necklaces or whatever you want. But mm-hmm. I've never really... I didn't take up that offer until last year. And then we went up to... Visit her at the office because our friend May just uh, gave birth to a beautiful little goblin mm. child. <laughs> I call goblin. Her a goblin princess, <laughs> in the nicest way possible. <laughs> she's a beautiful goblin.
0: She is beautiful. She is.
1: And so we went up, and then I just felt called to pick one that day. Mm. And she told me, she's like, "Okay, pick one." And I actually picked, and I totally. She knew because she. I was. I, I picked the orange one first because I wanted more energy, the mm-hmm. Manipura. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, you're using your head. <laughs> That's a like pick again. conversation,
0: using your head. She's the like, pick again. And I was like, okay, I know which one to pick.
1: And it was the heart one, which is, you know, I think I need that now to mm-hmm. you know connect the head with the heart. We mm-hmm. learn a lot of, you know, information and head knowledge with her in class. But uh, that's another thing that I have to stress is that, you know, she's a good guru in the sense that she has so much knowledge that she can give us. Mm -hmm. But also her heart is huge. Mm -hmm. And I never sense any judgment from her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people to class. Mm -hmm. Is that she's just, you know, overflowing with love. And so, that's something I need to learn. I think I'm quite uh
0: Is that why you're wearing it?
1: Yeah, well that's why I chose that one and <laughs> she was like, Okay, good <laughs> <laughs> And I think I needed I needed it.
0: Circulation of the heart chakra. Yeah.
1: All right. I need I think this year I need to that's my discipline is to kinda of connect head and the heart, you know, and that is the longest journey. From the head to the heart.
0: What is makes you question right what is the point of doing anything if your heart's not in it
1: exactly and uh, I mean we we are such a you know with social media and, and electronics mm-hmm. you know we are so much in our head we're bombarded with information you know if you were living in the middle ages like you would never like in your lifetime have this much information so we really need to disconnect <laughs> From the head.
0: And I mean, all this stuff, this information and the accessibility is such a gift. But again, balance.
1: Right? Yes. I think that is the main thing I think in life is just a balance as you said. Everything can be a gift or a curse. You know, fire is, you can burn your house down with fire but you need to cook with fire. Mm. Same thing with knives. You can cut your vegetables with it or you can stab someone in the back. Or in their eye. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it depends on how you use it. Same thing with, I think, the internet now. I love the internet. I get a little bit obsessive about it as well sometimes. It's it's hard not to, though. Yeah.
0: I mean, you're in bed, you're about to sleep, and you're like, I'm just going to go and Google this random book.
1: Yeah, I love Wikipedia. (laughs) And I read it in, like, five languages. Just to, like, I love it, you know? (laughs) And I read it out loud as well, and then I'm like, "Oh crap, <laughs> it's like past bedtime."
0: There's is, there's is an urge, don't uh, you agree, in us to just find out things because we're such as human beings, our our instinct is to connect.
1: Right. But yeah, everything you can learn is basically there. It is like the akashic records. It's like. It's so miraculous when I think about it. At your fingertips. Because when it first started I was, you know, I was really into my Brazilian jazz and I was trying to look up lyrics of these, you know, in Portuguese, Brazilian and not a lot of them were online at that point. And now it's virtually every song. Like the lyrics, the sheet music everything's there and it's yeah. it just if you want to know it's there and it's such an amazing gift to humanity I think
0: gratitude balance and surrender and that's what we can take from today's Johannes Pong thank, thank you, you very, very much. much thank you